All right, guys, welcome back to the Build Show podcast. We've got a great topic for you today. We're talking about HVAC, one of my favorite topics, and I've got my builder buddy Tim Hill here. Tim and I have been building uh, collectively for, God, probably six, I've been doing 26 years now, Tim. How many years have you been building? Right at 40, I think. Right at 40, so yeah. almost 65 years of knowledge between the two of us. It's time to retire for both of us pretty soon. <laughs> uh, so we're going no. to be talking to HVAC, a little bit of good, better, best, what we would do uh, for our personal houses, what we do for client houses, and how do we decide about which systems Today's build show from the Rockwell Studios here in Austin, Texas, sponsored by Builders First Source. Let's get going. All right, guys, by way of introduction, if you don't know Tim Hill already, he's been in the podcast with me. Uh, Tim is my VP of construction. We've been friends since I moved here in 05. Uh, and Tim, you've been building here in Austin, Texas since uh, late 70s, early 80s? Early 80s, yeah. Yeah, so you put a lot yeah. of HVAC systems in over the years. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're also a part of a group that meets uh, on a pretty regular basis that that has a lot of nerdy HVAC talk. That's I'm thinking about the Building Science Luncheon we go to mm-hmm. uh, once a month on Friday that Ray Ton just puts on. So we thought we'd have a discussion for you guys today about HVAC, kind of good, better, best what we've done over the years, what we really like, what we might put in our houses, and how do we decide what types of systems we put in for the houses that we build? Because we have a uh, kind of a range of what we can do. So that being said, we talked earlier, Tim, and you had a really interesting uh, kind of uh, philosophy about HVAC. Will you share that with us? Well, I think what we were talking about was effectively creating um, a, a program that allows for us to offer clients a sort of a good, better, best uh, systematic approach to HVAC. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of them don't want to do things that are too complex, too intricate uh, for them to understand. And therefore, maybe a more mainstream system works best for them. Uh, some people want uh, the most uh, complex, most uh, innovative <laughs> system they can get. The bleeding edge. Yeah. And and quite honestly, what most people uh, seem to like is something that works in the background that they don't even uh, know is there. They, yeah, they're not sure. even aware that it's operating because they're so comfortable. Uh, and it's quiet and it's and, efficient. And they don't hear it. They don't know about it. All they know is that... Um, they're not messing with the thermostat or controls all the time, right? Or calling for service right. or it what's just works. This trouble code. Yeah, and, and and to get that, sometimes you have to have a system that's a little bit intricate uh, that uh, accommodates all those scenarios that the climate can throw at us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, uh, if you have a VRF system, a, a variable refrigerant flow system that. Um, takes uh, highly skilled, highly trained individuals to work on. You can't just call at 12 o'clock on a Saturday night and say, hey, my AC system has gone out. Uh, Joe Blow, air conditioning contractor, would you come fix this? Because they won't know what to do with it. Yeah, you and I have have always shied or steered towards reliable systems, right? We don't want that phone call from the homeowner six months or even six years after they've moved in that they've got a problem. There's a leak from the HVAC system or there's a, you know, their zone one is out or their bedroom's hot. We just want them to be comfortable and not have problems. And so we're always looking for systems that are going to deliver both comfort and reliability. And you mentioned earlier uh, systems that are not overly complicated. Uh, Let me define 
real quick what VRF means, you know, variable refrigerant flow. That's a more complicated system. I kind of liken them to Prius, you know, the Toyota Prius. Right. Toyota Prius, super reliable car, great resale value. But if your Prius breaks down in Topeka, Kansas, you better go to the Toyota dealer because the garage in town that might fix you, your nice Chevy truck is going to look at that Prius and go, I don't know what to tell you. Right. You know, I don't I don't have the ability, the, the tools, the computer, whatever to fix it. It's not that there's not a computer running our Chevys as well. But it's just that much higher level of complication. So the horse that we've ridden the most, probably in the last 10 years that you and I have been building together, has been Mitsubishi, uh, you know, Japanese company. They're now, they're now partnered with Train in America, so they have great distribution. But they are a little bit more of a complicated system. You know, you don't just hook up your gauges immediately and get going on it. There's a, there's a startup routine. The tech's out there with this computer. Uh, it's not the same equipment from the eighties that, uh, that we, or nineties even that we used right. not that many years ago. Um, there are other manufacturers of VRF. LG makes it, Daikin, Carrier, uh, probably several others. Entrain makes one too. Entrain does. Mm -hmm. And just to define the term quickly, that variable refrigerant flow means that it has varying output of tonnage or capacity. So most standard air conditioners 20 years ago, they were single speed. You bought a four ton, a three ton, a two ton AC, and it was either on or it was shut off. Variable refrigerant flow means that in this newer generation equipment, it can kind of ramp up or down depending on the need and how many out. And so it can output a small amount of BTUs or a very large to the very extent of its capacity BTUs. But another type of equipment that we've actually used quite a bit, we don't use it as much anymore, but I think a lot of people still are are two-speed or two-stage equipment. Talk to me about that one, Tim. Well, I think I think that is actually more mainstream in, in the, in the uh, upper-end home-building world that uh, an upper-end train or American Extended carrier uh, manufacturer would make a non-VRF system, but it had a two-speed outside condensing unit and a variable speed indoor air handler. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's sort of a great way to achieve some varying response to demand mm -hmm. without having the VRF complexity. Yep. So it, it, it may be a good compromise for a lot of people to use that type system. Yeah, and I would consider that better equipment than just standard equipment. Uh, and uh, there's two different types of, or maybe three, I don't I actually don't know, but I've always heard that there's two different types of compressors. There was a compressor that would run at two speeds, and some of the machines would actually have two compressors in them. A That's compressor right. that was a, let's say, a four-ton compressor and a compressor that was a two-ton compressor. And I always liked that equipment because, I, as I understood it, if the four-ton compressor went out, the two-ton compressor could still work and still function. And so you might be able to limp along with a lower capacity but still have AC. And then you'd have time for your tech to get out and fix it. Whereas if you had a, a compressor that would run at 100% or 60%, let's say, if that one compressor fails, you're done. Right, right. Now, the way, though, that I think we have transitioned as a company, Tim, on HVAC is we've always been moving towards kind of three systems in the house. One system that handles heating and cooling, uh, and, but HVAC is missing the V, so we then have a ventilation system. And then we've also been adding uh, a third component probably almost every house in the last, wouldn't you say every house we've built in the last six, seven years has also had a dehumidification component. Talk to me about that. Well, I think that is 
the definition of indoor air comfort is to address all three of those components equally. You can't just regulate the temperature. You have to regulate the humidity, which makes the temperature more efficient Mm -hmm. when it comes to interacting with human tissue. Uh, and also the, the fresh air component. You, you have to, with as tight as we build homes today, you have to allow for the fact that the indoor air quality deteriorates over time and needs to be refreshed on a regular basis. Yep. There are a lot of different ways to do that. But if you rely too heavily on separate systems to address each one of those different things, you could very quickly get into the weeds of, of over complexity mm-hmm. that certainly homeowners can understand or manage, but sometimes it's hard for mainstream air conditioning contractors to maintain. Yep. Uh, and you'll end up relying on the original contractor that installed it mm-hmm. to continually perpetually maintain and operate it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. So on, on the fresh air component, let's talk about kind of three ways that we've done fresh air with the first wave uh, that we've done a lot over the years. And, don't do it as much anymore, but still can do it or still have done it, which is usually just a fresh air pipe to the return side of the furnace. Most of the time it's an April layer damper in the middle of that pipe with an April air controller that says, Hey, every 10 minutes or every 15 minutes, open the damper up and let fresh air into the return side of the furnace. That controller also kicks on the furnace fan. So it'll move some air uh, in the house and help draw in that fresh air. The, so that's a real basic system. What's the next step up from that? Well, the next step up is to integrate some type of fresh air control into the, either the dehumidification mm-hmm. or a separate fresh air intake uh, apparatus like an ERV. Yeah. yeah. And the dehumidifier, bring, bringing the fresh air in through the dehumidifier, has probably been our kind of mainstay over right. the last several years. Uh, where basically your dehumidifier will have, if you think about it like a tube, there's a, there's a supply on the right-hand side of the tube, and on the left-hand side of the tube uh, is the return side, and the return would be split into two pipes, one return, which is the main return from the house, and then a smaller, either four- or six-inch pipe, which is bringing air in from the outside and has a damper on it. So that air goes through the filter on the dehumidifier first, And then if it's humid, it's going to hopefully drop some of that humidity in the dehumidifier as it as that warm, moist air is running through it. And then it's going to go into the supply side of the house. Now, the third option, which is probably the most complicated and also typically the most expensive, is to uh, to go to a dedicated fresh air system that doesn't dehumidify, but will move some of the moisture and some of the heat between the outgoing and the incoming airstreams. And that's usually what we refer to as an ERV, an energy or enthalpy recovery ventilator. Right. If you're in the south, if you're in the north where it's not humid as much, you might not need the energy recovery and you would just strictly do heat recovery. Right. Now we have installed, we have not installed a ton of those over the years. And mostly, honestly, that's been about cost, wouldn't you say, Tim? It has and, and complexity. I mean, it adds a, another piece of equipment, another device that has to be maintained and, and controlled. Um, not, there are very few homeowners that understand them or know what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think in the interest of, of keeping it simple, we've, we've avoided that to some extent, although they, they do their job extremely well. Yeah. 
Um, part of the problem with bringing fresh air in either, either passively or somewhat controlled through dehumidification or through uh, the, the main air conditioning equipment is that you're bringing in unconditioned air to the extent that now you've got to condition this fresh air, whereas the ERV accommodates that to some extent and and, and doesn't waste some of that energy. It mm-hmm. sort of recovers some of that energy that would otherwise be lost. Yeah, that's right. Tim, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about our houses. Uh, you built a house for your family a, a while ago, and you're still in it. I'm in the middle of building my house for my family, and I think it's always interesting to talk about what you've done. But it's even more interesting to talk about what what you've done and lived with for a long period of time. So why don't you take a minute to tell us kind of th- that about the HVAC system in your house? How long ago you built it, when, and what it's been like? I built my house in 1985. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a fairly simple. Uh, early American style architecture box, uh, first floor of a second, second floor of a first floor. It has two air conditioning units, a uh, first floor and a second floor. It's real straightforward. And and I've evolved from a very system uh, simple system in the beginning when I built it that's simply on and off. Uh, it was two and a half tons down, two and a half tons up. It's either on or off. I think it's interesting to note, Tim, that you were smart enough, even in 1985, to know you should use two systems for two for an up down, rather than you know using one system and trying to zone damper it. Right? Was that on purpose or it, was that a happy well, accident? Well, actually, that was early wisdom. I I had built an earlier home in the early 80s uh, that was very open floor plan, and it really wasn't easy to zone it up and down. And so I did try to control one side of the house second floor first floor with on one unit mm-hmm. i even experimented with multiple thermostats it, it just did never did work yep and and i learned that very quickly that if you want it to be comfortable you got to be able to control it at the point of of uh where, where your comfort level yeah. is going to be measured uh but anyways once those units begin to to fade out and die i, I then converted to a variable speed uh, indoor unit with a two-speed compressor, and I, I had that, I guess, for the last 12, 13 years. One of those units is still working. It's a Carrier Infinity. Mm-hmm. controls the oh, humidity yeah. really well. The problem with it controlling humidity is, uh, like I've mentioned, it it allows the temperature to drop past the set point. So it sometimes it gets a little cool. So inside. if your set point was, let's say, 72 or 73, it might actually continue down to 69 or 70 to help pull that humidity down from the upper 50s, let's say, to closer to 50, which maybe was the set point. That's right. If I've got the humidity set point at 40 or 45, then it's going to continue to try to do that even after it's met the temperature need. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it doesn't bother us in our house for it to get a little cool cyclically like that. And a lot of people, that wouldn't be acceptable for Mm -hmm. them. So that's when you'd need to bring in the separate dehumidifier. Upstairs, I recently replaced that unit with a train variable speed unit that's very, very uh, sophisticated and not so much from an operational standpoint, but just from the the, the way that it seems to seamlessly uh, invisibly work. So wow. uh, yeah, you don't hear it. Um, did you have to change copper when you did that or same copper free online? Use the same copper. That's awesome. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. And Tim, you used to, I don't know if you still do, but when I remember years ago pulling up in your driveway, you caught your condensate Outside, are you still doing I, that? I still do that. Condensate, Tell us about that. Condensate's really a good uh, house plant 
watering water because it doesn't have many chemicals in it. Um, so it's, it's fairly pure. And so you purposely uh, stubbed your condensate lines instead of down the drain to the outside in a spot that you could catch it with a five gallon bucket or bigger. Right. right. It just, it, and it's a good indicator of how much uh, humidity you remember you remove from the house mm-hmm. every day. Uh, in a, in a humid summertime, we'll easily go through ten gallons of of uh, condensate per unit. So Is that'd that be right? like that'd be like twenty gallons of condensate in one day. So in the morning, you're dumping the bucket before you leave for work, and when you get home at dinner time, you're dumping the bucket again. That's true. Five now, gallon bucket. I will say sometimes we don't use all the water, and the buckets will overflow across the driveway. And just to show you how pure that water is. It has eroded a deep trench across my driveway because it is the water is so pure it's, it's leaching leaching the the uh, minerals out of the concrete. That is awesome! I yeah. had no idea. That's crazy! Yeah. Wow. Would you do that again? Would you recommend that? I don't know. I mean, if if somebody wanted that water, like uh, rainwater collection or something, it's probably better served. Uh, you know, putting it into a tank and pumping it into the irrigation system or something. It's it's a little. Uh, it, it's a little bit of a hassle to. But you know what it. I like about it is it really lets you know number one your system's working right? right. If you came home one day and there was no condensate or very little, you'd be like, "What's going on with this? This right. is weird." And it, it a couple of times it's been a good indicator when the condensate drain line needed to be cleaned out. Yeah, yeah that's right because the condensate's not filling up. I recently bought a uh, a mini dehumidifier, not a mini, a smaller, a thirty pint dehumidifier for my RV. Uh, and I'm going on a big trip pretty soon. And I thought, well, I'll take this little mini with me. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's kind of standard size and width. It's just not very tall. Right. And it plugs into a standard 110 outlet. And I've had it go into my house just two or three days just because I wanted to try it. It makes so little water. I almost think it's not worth it. Uh, you know, it's just an Amazon purchase. It's some Chinese made. And you're using it in your house? I just plugged it in my house to try because my house's humidity was in the 50s. Uh, my wife usually turns the thermostat up to 76 or 77 during the day because she doesn't want it cold. And so as a result, usually my humidity ticks up. So I turned off my, I have an ultra air whole house dehumidifier. I just turned that off. And then I was using this little guy in my hallway and I swear it only dumps a pint or two. I I suspect that means that your, your air conditioning unit is actually doing most of the work, the heavy lifting of dehumidification maybe but also my humidity is at 50 something and i figured that would help bring my humidity down to 40 something it doesn't seem like it's making much difference and i'm in a big what do you have 1800 2000 square feet square foot house. okay that's it, a small unit for that big a house but yeah i have i have two i have one in my storage shed in my backyard mm-hmm uh, and you walk in there, and, and if you're in there for a length of time, you can feel it in your nose that it's dry, dry air. Is that right? And I also put one in my RV uh, that I leave in there, and when I go out to check on it and open it up, it's really dry inside. You can just feel it. You that know, feels good. Because uh, it, it works well. So when you store your RV, you've got a dehumidifier in there as well. All the time. And is it dumping into one of your gray or black tanks? It it is. It has a it has a pump internal pump on it, and mm-hmm. I just dump it into one of the sinks. Do you happen to remember what size you bought? Was it a fifty or a seventy pint? Sixty. Sixty. Okay, mm-hmm. so bigger. Mine was like a thirty that I bought. Right. I'm not sure that that compressor is big enough to do much. Uh, I I think that even though it's supposedly rated at thirty pints per twenty four hours, it might have to be humid and hot as heck. 
to actually get 30 pints out of the of the air yeah because this one seems like it's two pints over the course of a 12-hour day move it out in your garage and see what how it does that's a good idea yeah and see how it does out there so at my house uh tim i've lived at my remodel that i remodeled in about 2006 so 15 years or so i just sold it recently and i'm uh, building this new house but at my current house when i remodeled that in 06 it had a fairly new hvac system in it and it was a one-speed train uh, for a 2,2100-square-foot house. It was four tons, so 500 square foot to the ton. And I had our HVAC contractor, Airwright, rip out all my ductwork and replace it. But I kept the furnace and the AC coil and the outdoor condenser because it was only maybe three, four years old. I didn't want to replace it. I didn't have the money to replace it anyways. So, and I didn't need to, so why not? So here now, it's going on 20 years old. Still runs great. I've been good at filter changes. I haven't been great about service. I probably have them come out about every two years and check the gauges and blow it out and just make sure everything's good. Never had a leak, never had a problem. Uh, I did notice though, when I first moved in, and frankly, I was new to Texas and our Texas humidity at that time, that uh, I was always hot in the house. And my wife, because we had young babies, was always didn't want to turn the AC too cold. So here I was living at 74, 75 degrees when it's, you know, 100 out. <laughs> and I'd have a tough time sleeping. Uh, and so I bought a plug-in dehumidifier, like what I'm using now, just to test. And I bought a 70-pint. And boy, I couldn't believe the difference it made having that dehumidifier separate from my air conditioner. Not necessarily in July, more so in the shoulder months, you know, right. spring and fall. But now I've got an ultra air in my attic that's dedicated, uh, has its own dedicated return, its own dedicated supply. And so my single speed HVAC system, that's just an 80% gas furnace and my dehumidifier, I would call that a good system or maybe somewhere below good, (laughs) (laughs) not very expensive. I just have a one inch pleated filter, not even a good filter. But honestly, my house is pretty darn comfortable. That's all that matters. And I, I tell this to everybody who asks that doesn't matter what you use as long as you're comfortable. And and I think that's how people measure our success is if they we build them a house that is comfortable to live in. Yeah. So it, it's honestly given me a little bit of pause sometimes on these two complicated systems. You know, I think I think if you have good duct work, if you have a separate dehumidifier, Uh, If you pay attention to getting return air out of your bedroom so that if you're supplying air, you have a way for that air to get back to the return. Let's say at my current house, I have just a hallway return. So I was smart about doing jump ducts out of my bedrooms and making sure that that air, if I was blowing 250 CFM in, I could get 250 CFM out and not just relying on a, you know, one inch undercut on the door. It's good. It's a good or good minus system, but it's been darn comfortable. Yeah. You know, we talk about equipment and how important it is to use the right equipment. And I think even more importantly is the installation process. If you have a good contractor and they know about jumper ducts, for example, Mm -hmm. and, and because really air conditioning systems only work as good as they circulate through the house. If you've got stagnant areas that air can't circulate properly in, nobody's going to be comfortable there. Yeah. But if every bit of conditioned air is evenly distributed or properly distributed throughout the house, it's all going to be comfortable. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then and the polar opposite of the good or good minus system on my brand new house, I've got the uh, the best plus 
probably <laughs> system going on in there <laughs> where I've got the ultimate HVAC system, but I also have put it into the most ridiculously well air sealed and insulated envelope that probably we've ever built. I mean, right. my, my walls are, uh, you know, ridiculously airtight and I've got super thick exterior insulation on my roof and my walls plus interior insulation. I've not lived in it yet though. You know, we're going to start that equipment up here in another, uh, 45 days or so. I'm really curious to see what it's going to be like to live in that. Uh, I've got a Zender fresh air system, which is a dedicated fresh air system. That's really some of the best equipment in the world right now. Um, it is a bit pricey, but when you're building a ridiculously airtight house, you should think about bringing fresh air in and not just willy nilly. In my case, uh, every single bedroom has a dedicated fresh air supply into the bedroom. So when Olivia, my daughter is sleeping, her fresh air return or fresh air supply rather is just right over there uh, next to her bed so she's gonna have fresh air all night long while she sleeps i'm really curious to see uh if i'll notice any difference and also whether my wife or kids who could care less about all this nerdy stuff i, t I do for a living whether they'll see any difference in the house or say anything uh about the comfort about uh indoor air quality about this fresh air system uh, so stay tuned. I'll, I'll do a future video where I uh, kind of talk about that. Tim, let's wrap this conversation up uh, and talk about how we choose HVAC systems for clients. Uh, knowing that reliability uh, is paramount to us, not getting callbacks and having clients that are upset with their systems. What are some of the metrics you use? What do, how do you decide whether you use a good, a better, or a best on a client's HVAC? Well, I, I think it has to do with... Uh, interviewing the client and understanding what their expectations are. But there's also the design components of architect wishes and what they want to see or don't see, uh, the spaces that they allow for equipment. And then, of course, we typically use uh, some sort of energy design engineer like Positive Energy, mm -hmm. Christoph's crew, um, that help make technical decisions and do sizing and calculations of, of need. Um, those those decisions go into that also. But um, holistically, it's really a, a combination of budget and uh, client expectations. Yeah. And the last point I would add there on budget is we don't typically give our clients lots of options when it comes to HVAC. We don't usually say, hey, you can spend 40, 60 or 80,000 on your HVAC system. Usually through the course of the interview process, uh, we're getting hired under a professional services agreement. We're getting a feel for what the HVAC system should be in the house. And we're trying not to over-engineer or over-budget for them. But we're usually saying, okay, for this good system, which for us always includes really good duct work, uh, these days is always including a dehumidifier, uh, good controls, here's what we should budget. And then from there, we might give them some additional options that they might want to consider. And when they meet with a mechanical designer, they also give them some of those options. But we're never showing them a number that's a really crappy uh, install from a not very qualified crew with junky equipment. No, there's a certain upgrade from here. There's a certain limit of, of, of how if, if, you know, cost effective we, we can be and still deliver that same reliability. I think one of the, the great things about us working together over the years is that you approach things from a building science standpoint primarily. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, I understand and appreciate that 
I also add uh, sort of an experiential and wisdom For sure. component. And those two things combined should serve the clients really well. And so far, it seems like they have. 100%, Tim. Tim, really appreciate you being on with me on the podcast today. It's so fun to dive deep on some of these topics and let these guys l- kind of listen into these conversations that we have all the time anyways uh, <laughs> around the office or in the truck going to jobs or over lunch. Uh, guys, if you're not currently subscribing to the podcast, we'd love to have you hit that subscribe button. We're available on all the major uh, podcast platforms. We're publishing every single Friday. Uh, if you've not seen my YouTube videos, we also shoot YouTube videos over on the Build Show on YouTube. Uh, and we also are publishing this podcast at buildshownetwork.com, uh, which is my website dedicated to educating you on the principles of building science, helping you understand how to build a better house, a house that really has soul, that involves craftsmanship, and that's going to have really good systems like HVAC that we talked about today. So thanks again, Tim. Guys, if you're not currently a subscriber, hit that subscribe button. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on The Build Show Podcast. Podcast.